everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Bob Rathbun here in Atlanta. You know, these are rough times in our country. We've got red states against blue states. We've got friendships and families torn apart by the nonstop arguing, social media melting down. But we are not here to discuss the college football playoff. No, hoops is our game, and they have been amazing. Just over the past weekend, craziness. TCU stuns Georgetown on a made field goal at the end of the game when the shooter stepped out of bounds. The officials saw it on replay, but by rule were powerless to do anything about it. Kentucky loses at home to UNC Wilmington. Vermont was down by five points with 3.6 seconds remaining and won the game. They won the game in regulation over Yale. Let's go over that one more time. Vermont was down by five with 3.6 seconds left. They get a lay-in, and on the pass-in, there is a turnover. Vermont ends up with the basketball. They shoot and make a three-pointer, get fouled, and the Vermont team... Catamounts hit a free throw with a tenth of a second, and they pull it out over Yale. Number three, Marquette. They go to Madison, Wisconsin, and lose to the Badgers for a third consecutive year. My goodness. And for the second time in 2023, the calendar year, Northwestern has defeated number one, Purdue. Arkansas has that huge win at home over Duke in midweek. I texted Eric Musselman, and he said the crowd at Bud Walton was, in his words, insane. And then Georgia Tech knocks off Duke here in Atlanta over the weekend. Craziness in college basketball. More great ones coming up this week. The Jimmy V is Tuesday night at the Garden, Florida Atlantic and Illinois, followed by North Carolina UConn. And the Big East Big 12 battle continues. I mentioned Marquette. Well, they will take on Texas on Wednesday night in Milwaukee. And that means that Shaka Smart, the Texas head coach, will bring his Longhorns to Wisconsin to take on his old team, Marquette, and that will be on Wednesday night. Our 2023 Jersey Mike's Naismith Girls High School Player of the Year was Juju Watkins, and she is now in her freshman year at Southern California. To say that she's tearing it up would be an understatement. She has lifted Southern Cal to number six in the country now, and she's already recorded three 30-point games. USC is 6-0, and we're waiting for the end of the month, that December the 30th matchup, the Crosstown rivalry renewed. It's going to be number two UCLA against number six Southern California. Cannot wait for that one. My guest on the podcast this week is an old friend, and I think you're really going to enjoy his comments. Brand Doherty, the great center from the University of North Carolina back in the 80s. A decorated pro has his number retired as a Cleveland Cavalier. Uh, just a great guy doing broadcasting, but more importantly, runs a NASCAR race team that is the reigning Daytona 500 champion. We talk about all that and why Brad Doherty wears number 43. You might not know that story, but we'll tell you all about it when we come back after this from Jersey Mike's. Once you get the meat and cheese for your sub freshly sliced right in front of you at Jersey Mike's, I'll tell you, there's no going back to anything else. That'd be like going back to dial-up internet. <sighs> Am I connecting to space to order Jersey Mike's? Any day now. Okay, it's about to connect. What? Well, who picked up the phone? Nope. 
There's no going back once you see it freshly sliced at Jersey Mike's. A sub above. Well, what a delight it is on the podcast this week to welcome in a dear friend. And we've got a lot of ground to cover here, not only about basketball, but also about racing. One of my all-time favorite partners on the broadcast side, the great North Carolina Tar Heel and later Cleveland Cavalier, the one and only Brad Doherty. Brad, how are you doing, sir? Bob, I'm doing just fine, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me on your podcast. Uh, it's been a while. You and I did a lot of basketball back in the day, and uh, we still are doing some basketball. So it's always good to always good to spend some time with you. Brad, you played at a time at North Carolina back in the early 80s to mid-80s with some amazing players, Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins, to name a few. But you also played at a time where the big man, the center, was the focal point of a team's offense and defense. Where did all of you guys go? Yeah, we've all gotten skinnier and shoot three-pointers now. You know, it's... uh... (laughs) It's uh, the game has changed. I mean, you you know, yeah, the college game as well as the pro game, as you and I watch every night. You know, the big guy from the mid '80s all the way to you know the early 2000s, mid 2000s, the game was kind of played inside out. And you know, I think with AAU basketball over the last couple of decades becoming so so prevalent, and uh, so many young players and and kids going through those levels of basketball instead of the old days, just going to basketball camps and things like that. Uh, you know, it's much more structured with the AAU process. And, you know, a lot of those teams play very, very competitively, and it's it's about winning. So when it, it becomes about that, sometimes I think for big guys, you learn to play just like everyone else. Uh, you learn to run, jump, shoot, you know, and handle the basketball and do all those types of things. And what we see now is the game has evolved to where, I mean, every player on the floor is forward-facing at some point and shoots the basketball, handles the basketball. Heck, I mean, you know, you look at a guy like Kevin Durant, he's seven feet tall. He, you know, he guards guards. You know, he is a guard. So it's evolved. Um, a lot of the old-school guys don't like it, and I understand that because the game was a little different. It was a little more fundamentally based when we played, not to say these guys don't aren't fundamentally sound today. I think the athletes are better than ever. But I think, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, even in college basketball, it was so it was just so difficult to, to create movement because the game was played in such a confined half-court area that you had to be really exact with your passing. You had to set really good screens. Uh, you had to execute things to get those baskets. And then the defenses were set. So the games were in the, you know, you'd have an 82 to 76 game some night in the NBA. And so uh, it's, it's, it's changed, but I think it's evolved. And uh, I enjoy watching these young guys play today. Um, I think that, like I said, I think the athletes are just unbelievable. But I also think the game has changed a lot, and I don't think it's going to ever come back to the old school of throwing it in, inside to the big guy and, and starting from there. Well, after what North Carolina did to Tennessee last week in Chapel Hill, I know that you're in a good mood. Yes, sir. Coffee tasted better this morning. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. (laughs) Brad, you come from, grew up in Black Mountain, North Carolina, the western part of the state. I was wondering, when you were coming along in high school, was it always North Carolina? What was the recruiting process like for you? You know, uh, for me, coming out of a little town of Black Mountain, North Carolina, and, and I was a 
really good prospect. Also, was a pretty good baseball prospect, believe it or not. And uh, but for me, uh, I took my visits and and went and checked out different schools. You know, North Carolina in the state of North Carolina at the time was the standard. Uh, Dean Smith and the way he coached the game, taught the game, but more importantly, the way you know he treated his athletes as student athletes. And so. I had multiple visits. I visited all kinds of people. Uh, one of the funny stories, and we're seeing, uh, you know, watch ESPN daily, and you see uh, the tributes to Jimmy V. And when I was being recruited, uh, Lefter Giselle and uh, Jimmy, uh, Coach Valvano, recruited me very, very hard. And I remember walking out of my English class uh, one day my senior year, and I'm walking down the hall, and there's somebody leaning against my locker, and I get to it, and it's Coach Balvado, and he says, get used to looking at this ugly face. You're going to be looking at it for the next four years when you come to North Carolina State. And then he walked away. Uh, so it was great, the recruiting process, and then, uh, but the thing that kind of nailed it was when I went to Chapel Hill and with my mom, and we met with Coach Smith, and uh, I'd met with all these other coaches and teams and people, and there was a lot of promises and a lot of opportunities, and but Coach Smith was a little different. He looked at me, looked at my mom. He says, hey, I, I'll guarantee you one thing. You will get a world-class education. I'm not going to guarantee you'll start on the basketball team. Uh, he says, you're pretty good, so I'm, I probably can't say you, I can't guarantee you won't play. But he says, but I, the only thing I'll guarantee is you will graduate with a degree in four years. And my mom was like, okay, this is done. And I was like, well, well darn, Mom, there was a couple of schools that offered me a car and you know, could you know buy you a house, and she's like, I got a house, I'm good. I was like, darn, I missed out on my car opportunity. So uh, that's that's kind of where that went, and ended up going to Chapel Hill, and and my goodness, playing for for Dean Smith was just the chance of a lifetime. Brad, your teammates were pretty sensational too. What was it like going on to campus and joining a team with the likes of Michael Jordan and Sam Perkins? What was that like? Yeah, Michael. You had Michael and Sam Perkins and Kenny Smith and, uh, you know, just some incredible, ta- incredibly talented players. And I think the thing for me was the first summer I went early to work out and to go into that gym to play my first pickup basketball game. And not only that, you know, Carolina was has always been renowned as being really family-oriented because of Coach Smith. And you walk into those summer games and, you know, there's James Worthy and the late Walter Davis and, and Mitch Kupchak, and it, you know, it was Michael Jordan, and then there's Dudley Bradley, and Al Wood, and it just goes on and on and on. And I found out really quick that I wasn't very good. I, I wasn't as good. I was a big deal in Black Mountain, North Carolina, but I was not a big deal in Chapel Hill. So uh, those games were fun then to, to be around and to watch Coach Smith and to look back on how he handled each one of us and got the best out of each of us, from Michael to me to Kenny to James to all that, was remarkable. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it was really about learning for all of us, uh, being around Coach Smith, and then, like you say, playing with those great basketball players. And all the great basketball players wanted to go there, just like any great program like Duke or anything like it, just because of, of the opportunity to be around such a great leader. And uh, there were some spirited days, I tell you. We got after it, and it was fun. And you got better just because of, of your peer group. Looking back on your career at North Carolina, Brad, you guys were really good all four of your years in Chapel Hill. But the brass ring eluded the Tar Heels. 
Yeah, you know, my uh, sophomore year, you know, my sophomore year, we were 14-0 and 0 in the ACC. We wiped everyone out, and uh, it was just crazy. I mean, we should have – there's no one that could have beaten us. And in the last game of the season, you know, back then, you played your, your conference games, and then you played two non-conference games to finish the year. And uh, the last game of the year, we were playing LSU in Chapel Hill, and uh, we were beating them. And uh, Kenny Smith was on a breakaway, and he went up to shoot a, to dunk it. And the guy, John Tudor, T-U-D, I never will forget that, pulled him down from behind, and he broke his arm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that we, we ended our season. We went into um, the, the, the tournament. We played pretty well. We got beat in the final eight, uh, I believe, by Georgia. But that just was it. I mean, we couldn't replace Kenny Smith. Kenny Smith, we were we were unbelievable, and that really was hard because with with Kenny on the floor and you know we had Michael Jordan, we were so good. I, we were fourteen zero at ATC. We black, we just blew everyone, Duke, State, every, out of the water, and uh, that was bittersweet. That was really difficult to to digest even today because. We were really good, and there was Kenny was healthy. There's no way we lose to anyone. I think we would have went, could have been almost undefeated. So yeah, that that stings. But you know, you look back and boy, those trials, tribulations, you know, it teaches you a lot. It just teaches you not to take anything for granted because, and today in today's game, you know, hear the next man up. You know, you really that that is so true. You have to be ready. That next guy has to be ready because you just never know. Brad, let me ask you about your racing career. You, last February, became the owner of a winning car in the Daytona 500. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is your driver. Your race team won the Daytona 500. Tell us a little bit about the feeling you had when Ricky took the checkered flag in Daytona last February. You know, I've been been uh, growing up in a little, little western North Carolina town. People ask me all the time, how, you know, where did racing come from? I said, well, you grew up when I did in the state of North Carolina, you know, college basketball and racing that's basically our state bird it should be on the north carolina flag you know it's just <laughs> it's just what you do you're around it all the time my dad was racing everybody's racers so grew up around it and i've been in the racing i've been in the in the nascar business for about 30 years and uh have owned teams and and just love just love hot rods like everyone else every other blue-blooded american guy loves hot rods and so uh this past year you know, we've we've come close. We're a small. I've got a really small organization, small little one car team. Uh, we've got really smart people. We race hard. Have uh, had the good fortune of of, of of winning a couple races as a little bitty team. But you know, the Daytona 500 is our Super Bowl, and to win that, it, it establishes you as a champion of the sport. And so everyone is the pinnacle. And this past year, you know, my little team gets the opportunity. We we fought hard all day long, uh, and it's a long day. It's a 500-mile race, and we were just, you know, smart and calculated and aggressive and did everything right on pit road and, you know, end up winning the Daytona 500. So, you know, i become the first African-American owner uh, during Black History Month, ironically, uh, to win the Daytona 500. And so uh, just an incredible thing, and, you know, it's funny you know, you think, I thought I would be wearing a championship ring from playing basketball. I never thought I'd wear a championship ring from, from racing. So it just, like I say, the, 
the irony in life is really really something sometimes. I'm very proud of, of what we've accomplished. Uh, like I said, we, we race against these juggernauts, man. You race against Rick Hendrick and, you know, Joe Gibbs and, and Roger Penske and now Michael Jordan's organization. You know, some of these organizations have 600 people, and uh, we have uh, 65, you know. So it's truly the, 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 the David and Goliath. But it's been a, been a remarkable uh, year for our race company. And, to, to, you know, we took a couple weeks off. And as a matter of fact, we started building race cars this week. Uh, we got to be ready for Daytona in February, and uh, my guys are fired up already. We just finished our season the first week of November, so it's a it's a long season. But I'm so lucky. Uh, I get to be around some great people, love racing, and uh, then I get to moonlight and do some basketball, pro basketball with the the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Do their do some of their color work, and uh, man, I tell you, I don't feel like I've I've worked a day in my life. Bob. I've been really blessed, really lucky. And uh, just been around some great people, including you. Got the you got me started a long time ago, doing some some color analyst basketball, and uh, been around great people like yourself. And learning from people like you uh, has made my journey very very smooth, and I'm uh, very very fortunate. Well, Brad, we are so proud of you. Yeah, you're a great human being first and foremost, and to become a Daytona 500 champion is something special. Will live forever. You wore number 43 playing basketball because of Richard Petty? That's right. The King's my buddy. So my dad, his hero, you know, growing up was Richard Petty, and we always watched the races, and, and my dad loved Richard Petty, loved Wendell Scott, loved David Pearson. And so I, I met Richard Petty as a youngster, and it just was it blew my mind because I was just kind of saying, hey, from a distance at a race, and he walked over and started talking to me. And uh, it was pretty – it was pretty uh, indelible. I mean, I just it just blew me away. It seemed like he talked to me for ten minutes, but it's probably fifteen seconds. But I was just this little well, I'm never a little kid. When I was a young kid, and uh, he came over and he talked to me and he he asked me where I was from. I told him Black Mountain. He's like, oh yeah, we raced there. He's like, you know, we just talked and then we became friends uh, over the years. And Richard Petty is just a, a treasure, man. He loves basketball loves college basketball and so every time i would go to the racetrack i'd have to stop by and talk to him he'd tell me what carolina's doing wrong and he would tell me what state he'd tell me why i was missing free throws what i need to be doing he's one of those guys and so uh we became buddies and when i had the chance i grabbed that 43 just to let him know that taking 30 seconds with a little kid from black mountain north carolina meant everything in the world to him to me and uh, that was just a tribute to say, hey, you know, the king's my guy. So uh, he's my dad's guy, and he's my guy. So that's my hero. Well, Brad, thank you so much for taking time. I know that Carolina fans and Cleveland Cavalier fans everywhere will really enjoy hearing this. And we thank you, and we wish you nothing but the best in the new racing season and your basketball career. Hey, Bob, thank you so much, man. Good talking to you, and it's always good to see you, buddy. That's going to do it for this week. Please uh, like us and download us and subscribe to our podcast. Helps us get the word out. College basketball spoken here, men and women, 52 weeks out of the year. From all of us at the Naismith Awards in Atlanta, Bob Rathbun saying so long.